0: Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at EvangelChurch.com. Good morning. Let's give it up for the worship team. Is that all right? What a joy it is to be together in the house of the Lord this morning. For the past few weeks, Pastor Chris has introduced us to and escorted us into a very, very timely series for this Easter or Resurrection season, a series entitled, Come and See. His weekly exhortation last Sunday as I was standing in the back, it caught my attention again and I wrote it down very quickly and it came to mind again this week. His weekly exhortation to us has been that the byproduct of believing in Jesus is bringing people to Jesus Christ. And keeping with that theme this morning, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to two companion passages of scripture. We're gonna look at the same scenario, but I want us to look at it through the lens of two different gospel writers. We do that because many times when you find the gospel writers recording an incident, they often record the details through the lens of their own experience, their own perspective. We look at the lens of Matthew who certainly wrote his gospel with a slant toward the Jews. We look at the Gospel of Luke, who was both an historian and a physician and was given to great detail. So this morning I'm going to invite you to turn with me to two passages of Scripture. First of all to Matthew chapter 8, and then we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, and I'm reading from the NIV this morning. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and I tell that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he doesn't. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go, Let it be done as you believe it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. With soldiers under me, I tell this one, go when he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he doesn't. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such faith, even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. The title of this morning's message is Come and See The subtitle is Go and Tell. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we gather this morning in your house, and Father, we pause, we pause to give you thanks. We pause, oh God, to thank you for every aspect of our gathering together this morning. Lord, that you granted us health and strength and a mind to come together. Lord, to lift our voices in worship and adoration with brothers and sisters of like faith. Lord, you've stirred something in our hearts on this Sunday morning, even with a sleep deficit, God, to come to your house, God, to lift our hearts in praise and in worship. Lord, to stand side by side with others in fellowship, O oh God, and then, Lord, to pull up to your table and hear your word. Father, this morning, in the name of Jesus, we sanctify this hour unto you. And, Father, we pray that you would be the one who would speak to us, O God, by your grace. By your grace, O God, grant us strength, that, Lord, we together might be conduits of your truth this morning. Lord, as we give and receive what we believe is on the heart of God, Father, give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Sovereign One would say to us. Father, help us, enable us in these moments. Lord, not to be preoccupied with sermonizing, but God, may we give ear to hear you. God, may we communicate together the word of the living God. Father, would you give us a fresh coal from your altar this morning? And Father, as you speak to us, and surely, God, you will, as you speak to us, so oh God, ignite something on the inside. And Lord, may we leave this place not being hearers of your word only, but God, being doers of whatsoever, God, you would place upon our hearts. God, I pray this will be a fruitful season. Father, we pray that as we walk through this resurrection season, the Lord, in this place and many others, many will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. And we pray according to the words and the will of Jesus himself, that, Lord, there would be fruit that would remain to the glory and the honor of Almighty God. So, God, as we look at your word right now, I pray you would speak to us. Lord, speak to us, change us, challenge us, motivate us, and use us, I pray. And, God, we pray these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. During the early part of the first century, the Roman Empire was at the peak of its international conquest. Roman occupation was the norm in much of the territory that surrounded the Mediterranean Sea. And I do want to talk to you for a few moments about the Romans because I want to help us this morning get into the setting of our text that will help us to understand some of the dynamics that were taking place. Centurions, tribunes, soldiers, guards were everywhere. Whenever you look around the cities under Roman occupation, it was not uncommon to see those who were in military garb everywhere you would tend to look. But may I suggest to you this morning, they were not there because they had a fleeting interest in the nation of Israel. They had very little interest in the God of Israel. They had very little interest in her people and very, very little interest in her well-being. Nonetheless, in those areas that were under Roman occupation, virtually everywhere you would look, you would find those who donned the Roman uniform because they were there representing Caesar and his great interest. This is true all over the Roman Empire, and certainly it was true in the region of Judea during the time of the life of Jesus. In all likelihood... Again, everywhere you looked, you would see them. So in all likelihood, in my own imagination, I thought at every baptismal service, there were Romans who were present. At every marketplace gathering, the Romans were present. At every temple festival, the Romans were present. At every political rally, the Romans were present. And at every public assembly, without question, the Romans of that day were present. Everywhere you looked, there they stood. They were armed and they were attentive However, they were not there out of compassion, and they were not there out of spiritual curiosity. We know that the nation of Israel, in a religious sense, stood unique among all the nations of what we call the then-known world at the time. All the other nations were inundated with the idea of polytheism that's They would worship one or two or 22 or an unknown number of gods. And some, so as not to offend one of the fictitious so-called gods, would raise stations of worship and put labels on them that this was to the unknown god. One of the things that irritated many in the Roman Empire and mystified others was that when it came to the Jews, when it came to the nation of Israel, they were the only nation of people in the area at that time who were not polytheistic They were committed to the worship of one God, the God who said, when he identified himself, he said simply, I am that I am, glory to God. And this irritated some. Some thought they were not loyal to Caesar because they didn't do that. Some thought they weren't loyal to the many other gods, but some were mystified by the monotheistic understanding and practices of the people of God. However, I would suggest to you this morning that this Endless presence of the military, the Roman military, was not because it stirred up some sort of spiritual curiosity in their hearts. They were there out of compulsion. They were all over the place out of a sense of self-preservation, and they were there to complete an assignment for the completion of an assignment in order for them to earn a livable wage. Centurions were commonplace. Among the ubiquitous Roman presence during the days and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. The backbone of the Roman Empire, of the Roman army, was the centurions, and this was the backbone. This was the strong part, the strong arm of the army. The centurions had a reputation. They had many reputations, and we'll look at one side of it in just a little bit. But among their own, the centurions had a reputation of being loyal and courageous, beginning their military career as baseline foot soldiers and as they would climb through the ranks they would gain the notice of the generals who would notice them because of their skills and their courage in battle and little by little they went from being the foot soldiers to those who began to climb and achieve certain rank among the Roman soldiers. The centurions were known as the veteran soldiers who were in command of 100 men each. These 100 men groups were part of what was called a legion. A legion was made up of 6,000 men. The centurions received pay, or a salary that was commensurate with their responsibility. The centurions were considered by some to have been paid well. They made roughly 5,000 denarii per year, which was 20 times the amount of the salary of your average soldier in the Roman Empire. Uh, military. But the centurions were not the best paid. In this legion of 6,000, there were those who were called senior centurions. And of the five senior centurions who were there, they didn't make 5,000 denarii per year. They made 10,000 denarii per year, so they were doing okay. However, they were not the the best paid among the soldiers. There was then the chief centurion. He was the big dog among all those in the legion. He oversaw the entire group of 6,000 men. And historians tell us that he made roughly 20,000 denarii per year. That might not sound like a great deal to us, but it spent well in the Roman market. The interesting thing about these salaries that even though in this ranking, it seems like the centurion was low man on the totem pole making only 5,000 denarii per year, compare that to the salary of your average soldier who made roughly 200 to 300 denarii in the course of the year. So you understand when we talk about those who were centurions, this is a position of rank and of recognition, a position of aspiring wealth and a position of prestige. During the time of Jesus, the headquarters of the Roman army in Judea was in a place called Caesarea. If you know anything about that region, you know there are two Caesareas. There's Caesarea Philippi and there's what they call today Caesarea Maritima. It's Caesarea by the Mediterranean Sea. And if you go there, you can still see many of the relics of that place. It was here in Caesarea Maritima where the Romans occupied this area. Their army set up its headquarters during the time of Jesus. Strangely enough, good conduct was generally the cause of their promotion, at least good conduct among themselves. As I began to read some things about the centurions, I thought this was noteworthy because we find several centurions mentioned in the pages of Scripture. And although they had the military responsibilities, some of which were not really pleasant, especially if you're on the business end of it, something of this idea of good conduct is noteworthy throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, centurions mentioned in the New Testament were uniformly spoken of in terms of praise and of adoration and of good conduct, whether that was in the gospel or whether it was even in In the book of Acts. Let me give you an example of a few of the centurions that we see who are noteworthy in the New Testament. There was a man named Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. Most of the time we talk about the converts who came to Jesus, the gentile converts, we look at a a rather wealthy woman named Lydia who was a dealer in purple who came just outside of Philippi and we look at her as the first convert But she really was not. She was the first one in Asia Minor. But the first one we have on record, if my study is correct, is a man who's an Italian brother who happened to be a Roman centurion who found himself in a place where he just fell in love with the God of Israel. He was not converted. He certainly was not born again at this moment. But the scripture says of him that he was a devout man fearing God with all of his house, giving much alms to the people and praying to God always. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10, that this centurion man named Cornelius, one day while he's praying and worshiping God, he has, an, he has a vision that comes from Almighty God. And God says, go to a city called Joppa, and there you're going to find a man, Peter, who is the home of Simon the Tanner. Send for him because he has something to tell you. He did that, and he sent, and all of a sudden, Simon Peter and two or three of his brothers come. The great mystery of this I can't tell you too much of the great mystery because I don't have time. Part of the great great mystery of this was that Simon Peter, in one lunchtime, heard the voice of God, descended the steps down to the first floor of the house where he was staying, and the next thing you know, the next morning, he takes a trek to the home of a Gentile, which was unheard of in Jewish culture. He gets to the home of this Gentile Roman centurion, and when he walks and he says to Cornelius, what's up? Cornelius says to him, God told me to have you come. Just start to talk. And while he's there in the living room of this centurion, this pagan-born, pagan-raised centurion, all of a sudden the Spirit of God descended in that living room. Glory to God. The centurion got saved. His household got saved. They got filled with the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden you see the hand of God move. And we find in the pages of Scripture, here again, is a Roman centurion favorably spoken of in the word of Almighty God. We go to Acts chapter 27. The Bible talks to us about a man named Julius. Paul had been mistreated by people, citizens, and the military alike. During his trek from Jerusalem on his way to Rome, he had requested to spare himself a beating. He had requested to go to Rome to have an audience with Caesar. So as he's en route there, some liked the fact that he was coming through the areas, some did not. Paul experienced favor and, and benefit. Paul experienced persecution. But now he finds himself on a boat, close to his destination going to Rome. But the boat all of a sudden has to dock. On the boat, there was a man named Julius, who was also a Roman centurion. And he could easily have raised the hammer falling hard upon the apostle Paul because maybe he didn't like the preaching of Paul, but that wasn't the case at all. Once again, we find a, a, a Gentile man. Once again, we find a centurion commended in the pages of Scripture. The Bible says in Acts chapter 27 that in kindness to Paul, Julius allowed him to go to his friends so they might take care of his needs. Glory to God. There's another unnamed centurion that we find at the foot of the cross, The Bible lets us know that as he stood there and he watched the blood cascading down the face of this Messiah, as he heard no scream from Jesus when they broke his legs because they didn't have to, as he heard not a whimper from the Lord as they pierced his side because Jesus was already dead, something arrested the attention of this centurion man. And one author of the scriptures put it this way. He said he looked up at the body of Jesus and he said, certainly, certainly, This was a righteous man. That brings us to the subject of our text this morning. A Roman centurion whose actions and whose character caught the attention of the Son of God. We do not know the length of his service. We do not know the heft of his wages. We do not know the name of his wife and or his children. We do not know where he would lay his head and whatever place he would call home. But we do know one thing about this man. That in spite of all of his military prestige and prowess, he was a man who had a deeply tender spot somewhere in his heart. We look at the the pictures and the images we see of Roman centurions. They're always hard-nosed and all that kind of stuff. But there was a tender spot somewhere in the heart of some of them. And the scripture makes it clear that this unnamed centurion in the text we read today had a soft spot because the Bible says this. It says a beloved servant that he had was sick. He was paralyzed and sick unto death. What did the centurion do? The centurion, by virtue of Roman law, could have taken an entirely different course. Roman law made the provision for a centurion. That if his servant got sick, not only did he not have to take care of him, not only did he not have to keep him under his employ, not only could he have fired him, but history tells us that if he wanted to, instead of taking care of that sick servant, he could simply have killed him and gotten another one. This Roman centurion did not have murder in his heart, but he looked at this beloved servant, and the scripture makes it clear that he went out looking for help. Glory to God didn't have to do it, but there was something in the heart of the centurion, who had no animus for the servants. He did not feel that his service soon was done. He thought, I need to get him some help. In his quest for a remedy, he remembered the rumors that he had heard about a controversial Jewish preacher. Romans had the responsibility of civil obedience. Whenever there was a disturbance, it was the responsibility of the centurions to quell any kind of riot that might take place. Whenever there was a large public gathering, whether it was political or religious or whatever it might have been, the Romans had the responsibility of being there. And if there was civil unrest, they had to report to Caesar. Somewhere in his journey, somewhere in his responsibilities, it appears that this Roman centurion had heard rumors about a a preacher from Nazareth a Jewish controversial preacher who was going around talking about the kingdom of God, who was saying things like, love your enemies, bless them to curse you, and it piqued something in his curiosity. And as he thought of the need of his servants, the one thing that came to mind was this itinerant Jewish preacher. When his unnamed centurion reached Jesus, that's when things really began to happen. Because the Bible says that when he finally reached Jesus he found out where he was and he heard that Jesus was in Capernaum a city that Jesus would often frequent the word of God says that when he found out that Jesus was in Capernaum the centurion made his way there and when Jesus saw something when he saw Jesus Jesus saw something in him something in the centurion that warranted the account of the centurion as brief as it may be to find itself in the pages of scripture And if Jesus felt it necessary to include it in the pages of Scripture, we need to pay attention to whatever it was that was said. Amen? Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I've spent the last couple weeks reading over this passage, and I would tell Pastor Chris, no, I'm not going to preach on that. I'm going to do something else. And yeah, but I came back here again. Well, no, I'm going to preach. No, but I came back here again. And the thing that kept hooking me was the words of Jesus. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I have not found anyone among my own chosen people who have the faith that I've seen demonstrated in this Roman centurion today. And because of that, the account of the centurion finds its way in the pages of our scriptures this morning. This morning, I want to tell you about the fledgling faith of this centurion a faith that caught the attention. Of the Son of God that caught the attention of the Savior. A faith that called to action the powerless local elders who when there was a need for someone to be healed, there was nothing they seemed to be able to do about it. A faith that witnessed the supernatural. And I want to tell you about this faith because there were a few things that the faith of the centurion recognized. Things that he recognized as he stood there in the presence or as he came into the presence of Jesus Christ. And these things that he recognized are things that would serve us well today to recognize also. So let me share with you three things that the, the faith of the centurion recognized. Now we'll be brief this morning. Excuse me. His faith recognized sovereignty glory to God, his faith recognized sovereignty. Luke chapter 7 verse 3 says this, the centurion heard of Jesus and sent asking him to come. The centurion heard something about Jesus Christ. We do not know at this point if he had ever been in the audience of Jesus before, We do not know if he had been there when Jesus had been preaching earlier, but we know that he had heard something about the Son of God. And when he realized that his servant was sick, this name that he had heard before, this miraculous worker that he had heard before, his name came to mind, and the scripture says he sent right away because he wanted Jesus Christ to come and meet this need. Folks, he recognized something. He might not have had the theological terms, but somehow this man understood something about sovereignty. He knew if you want the job, to get the job done, go to the person who can do it. Glory to God. Sovereignty is an interesting word. It's one that I find myself using often in my own place of prayer because I often think of the fact that God is sovereign. Sovereignty means very simply, it is the possession and or exercise of supreme power and authority. May I contemporize that? God's in charge and we're not, glory to God. That's sovereignty. God is sovereign. And you and I sometimes need to remember that our God is still the boss, glory to God. It doesn't get much larger, much bigger, much more powerful, much more authoritative than that. God is God all by himself, glory to God. And every now and then, we as believers need to be reminded of the importance of the sovereignty of Almighty God. As I thought about this message this morning, I thought about the times in which you and I happen to be living. It is an understatement for us to say, and I am a patriotic, proud American. I am. I love this country with all of its hiccups. But it's an understatement for us to say that our country is in trouble. Our country is filled. It's it's inebriated with sin on every single level. But I'm telling you, there are answers for that. The Word of God says where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Glory to God. The Bible talks about righteousness exalting a land. And may I suggest to you, respectfully, in this election year, what we need is not just a better Democrat or Republican. I'm not getting political, so don't throw anything at me. We don't need a better libertarian or socialist or fascist or Tea Party member. What we need is for the people of God to remember that God is sovereign. It is not a party that is sovereign. You and I need to fall on our faces and say, God, once again, would you heal our land? My dream, whomever it is that wins, and this will be a miracle, whomever it is that wins will lead the charge that in the hallways of Congress, somebody's saying, Sovereign Lord, that up and down the hallways of the White House, somebody's calling upon the name of Jesus Christ. Folks, righteousness exalts a land. It is time. If we want the reclamation of our country, if we want once again to say in God we trust and mean what we say, then somebody's got to remember the sovereignty, man. I'm telling you today, God is alive and well, and he lives in the United States, but sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we push him out. Every time we take the life of an innocent child, we forget it one more time. Every time we battle to hook up Fred and Frank and Sally and Sue, we forget it one more time. I'm telling you, we need to stand for righteousness. And how do we do it? We come before God, and we make an appeal to the sovereign one. God, pour out your spirit once again. A little over 100 years ago, 110 years ago, actually, Something hit California, and it had to be God. (laughs) Something hit California in a place called Azusa Street. People got together in an old raggedy building, sawdust on the floor, and the preacher had a milk cart that he used to preach from. Nobody cared. They didn't have chandeliers. They had light bulbs that were hanging down, single light bulbs. No air conditioning. The place was fly-infested because they used to keep horses in the place. But when they got preaching the word of God and when they got singing about the presence of God, all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost filled Azusa Street. People who couldn't even speak English got together and there was a sovereign move of Almighty God. In the midst of all the turmoil going on in our country, God had something to do. Glory to God. The centurion... The centurion who did not even claim to know God recognized when the hour of need came, I need someone who really is in charge. And his faith reached out to sovereignty. I began to look in the scriptures and I thought of this this term sovereignty and I I couldn't share with you all the accounts that was mentioned because there are 286 at least. And I only have a few minutes left. I thought of Abram. When God spoke to Abram and said, "Abram, your seed is going to be like the sand of the seashore and like the stars in the heaven," and, God, and Abram said, "I don't have any children," God said, "I know, but your seed is going to be like the stars of heaven." God, did you not hear me? I'm not going to have any children. God said, "I know, but I'm telling you what I'm about to do." Abram turned to me and said, "Ah, oh, sovereign Lord." How's it going to happen? And all of a sudden, God told him, and you know what? Today, the children of Abraham are like the stars of heaven and like the sand of the sea. Glory to God. I thought of Gideon. Gideon was called upon by God to destroy the armies of the Midianites. He starts off with a large group of people behind him, and God began to thin out the herd, and little by little, soldiers began to drop off. And all of a sudden, he's got just a handful. Gideon loved God. And he listened to God, and he said, God, I just need to know this. I need to make sure you're the one who's talking to me because you asked me to do a big thing. He talked to the angel of God, and he said, wait here while I go prepare the sacrifice. The angel of God waited. Gideon goes, he prepares the meat, he prepares the unleavened bread. He comes, and he puts it on the stone. And the Bible says the angel of God took a staff. He touched the stone, and all of a sudden the sacrifice burned up. You know what Gideon said? Ah, Lord God. Ah, sovereign God, I have seen the face of the angel of God face to face. I went past Gideon, I went past Abram, and I found myself thinking of Samson. I have a hard time feeling sorry for Samson because Samson kind of ran after sin repeatedly. But Samson finds himself now in the clutches of Delilah, and he realizes he really had blown it this time. Scripture says, and for me, it's one of the most fateful passages in the Scripture. The Bible says he shook himself, and he did not realize that the Spirit of God had departed from him. He heard the rumors that the Philistines were all of a sudden in the temple, in the local temple, going to erect the statue of the false god Dagon. And they were going to be in the worship and gather all the people together. And something rose up in the heart of Samson, and he said, enough is enough. He said, oh, God, remember me. And then he said, sovereign Lord, strengthen me just one more time. And the word says he grabbed one pillar with one hand, another pillar with the other. And he began to pull him down. And all of a sudden, Dagon and all those who worshipped him went into the tank together because he knew how to call upon the one who is sovereign. I thought of the words of the psalmist when the psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hill. Where does my help come from? My help comes from heaven and earth. It it comes from the maker of heaven and earth. There was something in their understanding of sovereignty. And may I suggest to you this morning that in the heart of the centurion, Something in this faith that caught the attention of Jesus Christ was a faith that recognized I'm not going to the second in command if I want my servant to be healed, I'm going to the one who I know can get the job done. Glory to God. He went to Jesus because Jesus was sovereign. Glory to God. His faith recognized sovereignty. His faith, secondly, recognized authority. It recognized authority. We know that because... Jesus said so. Luke chapter 5, I want to read the first six verses, because I want us to understand something about this authority. Remember the centurion said, I'm a man who's in authority. I say to this servant, go, and he goes. I say to this one, come, and he comes. I say to that one, do this, and he has to do it. I understand authority. May I tell you this morning, church, I think sometimes we need a refresher course in understanding authority. Jesus had all authority. All authority is given unto me, so I'm putting you on assignment. Go and make disciples. The enemy is a master in understanding how authority works, and so must the church of Jesus Christ be. God, who is sovereign, is a God full of authority, and he dispenses that authority into the hands of those of us who call him Lord. Glory to God. Luke chapter 5 says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of the Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him. And listening to the word of God, he saw at the edge of the water two boats. They were left there by the fishermen who were fishing with their nets, who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats that belonged to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little bit from the shore. Then he sat down and talked to people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night long. And we haven't caught a thing, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had let them down, the catch was so large that the nets began to break. Jesus was in the boat doing what he did well, preaching. Peter was in the boat doing what he did well. He was fishing. He'd been fishing all night long, and he had caught nothing. Jesus comes along and says, push out a little bit further. And when you do that, drop your nets over on this side. Now, Simon Peter, because you know Simon never had a loss for words. Simon could have simply turned and said, look, preach, you do your job. I'll do mine. I'm not trying to preach. You don't try to fish. But he said, and I love the King James here. He said, nevertheless, he said, I've been out here all night long and haven't caught a thing. Nevertheless, at your word and he takes those nets, drops them over the side of the boat, and the boat almost tips over, glory to God. Why that happened? Because Simon Peter recognized I might be the professional, but he's the one who's got the authority, glory to God. Every now and then, You and I need to let go of being in charge and realize, God, you're the one who's in charge. You're the one who's got authority. You're the one about whom the word says all authority is given unto you in heaven and on earth. May I suggest to you a few others? Simon Peter was on a roll. Simon Peter walked on the water because Jesus said so. Blinded eyes were opened because Jesus said so. Your sins and mine have been forgiven this morning because Jesus said so. A dying servant was restored to health because Jesus said so. Glory to God. There's something about the authority of the Son of God. You and I need to pray again, believing that when God hears us, God answers prayer. Praying in authority, this is the confidence we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, the Bible says we know that he hears us, whatever we ask. And if we know that he hears us, we know the petition that we desire of God. Folks, there is authority in the name of Jesus Christ. Glory to God. The devil knows it. Sickness knows it. And you and I need to learn that. When we pray, don't be afraid. And let me tell you what authority is not. Authority is not loud-talking, smack-talking Christians. Who, That's not authority. Authority sometimes comes in a whisper, and it can say something simply like, Jesus, you said so. Therefore, glory to God. You know something I love to do? I love to lay hands on me. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. I love when people pray for me. Some folks pray for me this morning, and that was great. But you know those times when you're by yourself, and there's nobody around to pray? Maybe you've never had that. Maybe you always got people around. Nobody around to pray. But I make it as biblical as I can. I have prayed, and if I haven't had oil, I've gotten a stick of butter. It was slippery, so I thought, well, that'll work. (laughs) The Bible says, call for the elders of the church. I got credentials in my pocket, so I lay hands on myself. And there have been times, I'm telling you the truth, and I'm not talking about arbitrary talk, but when that something rises up on the inside, I've laid hands on myself and just said, sickness, you can't stick around today. There's no time for this today. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is our healer. Sooner or later, we're going to believe it. When the centurion, something stirred up in the bosom of the centurion, It was a faith that recognized sovereignty. He's the guy who can get it done. It was a faith that recognized authority. Jesus, I have been under authority. And I know if you just send the word, you don't even have to come to my house. You don't have to lay hands on him. Just say it. Say it so. And just like the fish leaped up into that boat, my servant's got to be well. Glory to God. He recognized sovereignty. His faith recognized authority. One last thing, and very quickly. The faith of the centurion recognized availability. It recognized availability. When the centurion approached Jesus, there were several things that he demonstrated when he connected with the Son of God. The centurion showed a great deal of humility when he came face to face with Jesus Christ. He showed a great deal of respect when he came face to face with Jesus Christ. He showed a great deal of sensitivity, and many scholars believe that because when he came to Jesus, they believe he just might have been sensitive to Jesus, trying to spare him the awkward challenge of whether or not he as a Jew should enter into the home of a Gentile. It violated everything in Jewish law at that time for a Jew to enter into the home of a Gentile. And some scholars believe that when the centurion came and said, Jesus, don't come to my home, that maybe it was an act of sensitivity trying to spare Jesus the awkwardness of that moment. Maybe he was trying to spare Jesus the longevity of yet another trip and the distance of that travel. Just maybe that was what he was thinking. He didn't know Jesus well enough to know what Jesus' response would be. But may I tell you, he also didn't know Jesus well enough to know that with Jesus, none of that mattered. Glory to God. Jesus didn't care where he lived, who he lived with, what his address was, what his neighborhood was. None of that stuff. Jesus didn't care how long or short the trip was. Jesus simply knew somebody needs to be healed. I'm on a mission. Glory to God. Jesus Christ was not put off by all those simple external things. When this man called upon Jesus, Jesus said, I'll come, glory to God. Sometimes we say, God, I'm not worthy to be touched by you. In in and of ourselves, we're not. But may I tell you, Andre Crouch wrote a song years ago. He wrote many of them. And in one of those songs, he said this, that he looked beyond my faults. And he saw my need, glory to God. On the day that the centurion's servant was about to die, Jesus looked beyond all the externals, all the faults that anyone could label them with, and he saw here is a man who's dying and in need, and there stands before me a man who believes I can get this job done. Come on, let's do it to the glory of God. Hallelujah. That's the Jesus whom we serve. There was no one for whom Jesus did not care. And may I tell you the same is true this day. There is no one for whom Jesus does not care. There is no one whom Jesus cannot reach. There is no one for whom Jesus Christ did not die and shed his blood. So may I tell you the good news today is that the same lessons that were available to and through this centurion are available to us. This same Jesus, when he looks at the broken condition of humanity, is still the God who is sovereign. This same Jesus, when he looks at the condition that we're in, is still the God filled with authority. And this same Jesus is the one who's available to every one of us. Glory to God. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and I'm going to conclude in just a few minutes, but I have a few last things I want to tell you. The centurion was not content with the rumors. He had heard all manner of things that this Jesus of Nazareth had done, but he was not content with the rumors. When he heard that Jesus was in Capernaum, something inside the heart of the centurion said, I've got to come and see. I've got to come and see for myself. I've heard what he's done for others. I've heard the messages he shared with others. But I've got a servant who is sick, and I'm on my way to Capernaum. Glory to God. I must see this for myself. He wasn't drawn by the hand of a loving brother. He didn't have an Andrew there to call him and say, come and see this man. He wasn't drawn by the the powerful testimony Of a woman who simply was minding her business to get a drink of water at a well. He wasn't compelled by a woman who said, come see a man who told me all about myself. Let me tell you what drew this man to Jesus Christ. He was drawn by what he saw and by what he heard. It reminds me of John the Baptist when John began to question if Jesus was the Messiah. The Bible says that John sent his disciples. And the disciples came to Jesus. And they said, John, you know that John loves you. But he asked this question. Are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus could have said, give me a minute. Let me write a testament for you real quickly. Jesus could have said, tell him the sermon I preached last Sunday. It was a good one. Jesus didn't say that. He said, go back. Tell him what you see. Tell him you've seen the blind eyes open and the deaf ears were opened. Tell them that the lame have walked and demons began to flee. Tell him what you've seen. Tell him. And when he got back and told John, everything was settled on the inside. Folks, every now and then, people need to come and see. They need to come and see that Jesus Christ is alive and well and he's real. What is my point for us this morning? My point this morning is simply this. There are some, there are many who will come to Jesus as we've been taught so well. Because someone comes along and they say, would you come and see, come and meet him. Come meet this man who changed my entire life. There are some like Andrew, who took it upon himself immediately when he came to serve Jesus, to realize that in truth the byproduct of coming to Jesus is bringing somebody else. So he rushed to grab his brother. There are some like the woman at the well, Thank God she didn't fall down the hill and get hurt because people need to hear the message. But she runs into town and she says, you got to come see a man who told me all about myself. Thank God. But What about those times when that person's not present? Let me ask you this. Will people see enough of the presence of Jesus Christ in your life and mine? Will they hear enough of the sound of his voice in your life and mine? Will they sense enough of the fragrance of Jesus Christ in your life and mine that when you don't get a chance to part your lips and say, come and see, they're drawn because of what they've seen and what they've heard. The centurion didn't have an Andrew. He didn't have a woman with a pitcher by the well. But he was surrounded with the witness of what Jesus did and what he said. Folks, you and I are the cloud of witnesses around all those around us who do not yet know Jesus Christ. May our lives, may the aroma of our lives and the fruit of our lips tell people all around us, come and see him. Because I'll tell you something about coming and seeing Jesus. I dare you to find anybody who has had a true conversion experience who can say, no biggie. When you come and meet Jesus, folks, you'll never be the same again. Glory to God. You will never be the same again. What is our challenge? What is our challenge? We've got some instruments that will help you. You'll see on the other side of the wall where if you haven't gotten tickets for the movie yet, get them. Get them. Bring people. If you feel, well, I don't know how to witness, take them to a movie. Let the movies witness and grab them afterward and lead them to the Lord. Do it. We've got invitation cards. Grab a stack on your way out. And if you feel, I don't know what to say to the waitress, give her a card. Let the card do the talking, but then wait there for her response. But folks, what is our challenge? Jesus said, if they don't worship me, the rocks themselves will cry out. May you and I never in our lives hear a singing rock or a preaching stone. Because when you do, it means we're not getting the job done. Today when we leave this place, may we be on a mission for God. May we find somebody and tell them, come and see. Come and see the one who changed my life forever. Come and see the one who changed the course of history. And come and see the one who will receive you just as you are. Come and see and go and tell. Go tell somebody because, folks, he's real. Let me close with this. If the Easter account was Aesop's fable, it would be a good one. The details of this story are amazing. But don't you like the words of Simon Peter when he said, We have not been given cunningly devised fables of men, but I was witness of his glory. What we're telling is the truth. The credentials we have, folks, is not how long you serve God or how articulate your witness is. Our credential is that it's the truth, and his name is Jesus Christ. So when we leave this place, we're on assignment from Almighty God. When we leave this place, there are people who need to hear the name of Jesus Christ, people whom you need to invite to come and see this one who change their life forever. Those who are watching on, on TV, you need to hear the same thing also. Tell somebody. Tell somebody that Jesus Christ loves them. And if you're watching and you don't know him, Give your life to Jesus Christ today. Glory to God. If you're here this morning, and with this I'm done, if you're here this morning and you're not in relationship with Jesus Christ, I didn't ask if you're religious. I know you are because you're in church. But if you're not born again, the way Jesus defined it, if you're not in a living, vibrant relationship with the Son of God, but you would like to be, if you realize that the message of Jesus Christ is true, and you want to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'm gonna give you an opportunity in just about two minutes. And I'm gonna ask you to do something very bold. We're not turning off the lights, not asking anybody to bow your head. There's something celebratory about coming to Jesus Christ. I'm not gonna beg you and give some long story. Oh, please come. This is an opportunity to meet the King of Kings. Glory to God. So if you want to meet Jesus Christ or if you have walked away from him and are not serving him but want to reclaim your walk with the Lord, now's the time. Now's the time. I'm going to ask you if we can do this while every head is up. If you're here this morning and you would like to give your life to Jesus Christ, you know it already spirit of God is making you real uncomfortable and you're probably the person who's thinking I just wish he'd shut up <laughs> but if you're here this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus for the first time or you want to recommit your life to Christ slip your hand up very quickly right where you are do it very quickly we want to see God bless you sir is there anyone else is there anyone else slip it up high enough so I can see it if you would We have a special gift we want to give to you. We want to give you a a little New Testament, and I'll tell you why. The Bible says heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. There's no greater thing we can put in your hands than the word of God. And inside that little New Testament is a card, and all I'm going to ask you to do is fill it out and give it to one of us, one of the ushers or one of the altar workers before you leave. Because we want to connect with you again and encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ. If you're here and you're a little shy and think I'm not raising my hand then we're not going to place. Several of us will be here around the front when service is over. Talk with us. This is not a scary thing. This is a liberating moment when I can say, Jesus, take my sin and forgive me and become my Lord and Savior. And then after you have, guess what? Jeremiah said, man, it felt good. It was like fire locked up in my bones. And all of a sudden, something inside is going to want to tell somebody else. You know what happened to me at church on Sunday? I don't understand all of it, but I gave my life to Jesus Christ. You need to come too. Next thing you know, your buddy's coming next Sunday, and all of a sudden, your whole family got saved. Glory to God. And just tell them, come and see. Come and see. But they'll come and see as you and I go and tell. Amen? Stand with me, would you? I want to pray with us. If you are in need of prayer, I'm going to ask the altar workers to come. If you would like someone to pray with you this morning, whatever the need might happen to be, then there are a team of people who will be here at the altar want to pray with you. Many of us will be here just to help encourage you walk and, and grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you just want to find a place to pray by yourself, then that is available also. If you want to stand in your pews and just worship with God, let the Word of God sink in. Let it dwell richly on the inside. And then as you leave today, don't just be hearers of his word, be doers, be doers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful, oh God, for the testimony of this Roman centurion who heard the rumors of Jesus Christ. Something inside determined he had to come and see who this was. He had to come and see this sovereign one whom he believed could heal his servants. And Lord, you did. And Lord, we're talking about it 2,000 years later. And Lord, we're reminded that you are the same yesterday and today and forever. God, set a fire within us, I pray. Not only that we would love you ourselves, but something inside of us would be dissatisfied if we fail to tell other people that they too can come and see the one who went to the cross for them. God, touch everyone here in divine presence, I pray. Lord, for those who recommitted their lives today, God, give them strength. They will walk with you all the days of their lives. For those yet making decisions, God, may this be the season when they'll decide to say yes to Jesus Christ. For those who are walking with you, God, may we deepen the roots of our faith. And hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. God, as we leave this place in a few moments, help us to leave remembering your word and doing what you've asked us to do. So, God, we commend this time to you. We give you thanks. We give you thanks, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to take some time. The worship team is going to lead us. And then as you go in a few minutes, go knowing that God loves you, and so do we. God bless you.